able are invited to stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went on a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. As a kid, I thought that the very best job that a person could have was being a minister. I mean, my dad was a minister, and uh, it was until I was about seven years old, and my mom uh, played this sort of chocolate brown upright piano that was in the corner on Sunday morning for worship services. And that left my younger brother and I sort of seated in the congregation by ourselves, soaking up the adulation of the adoring people who had gathered. At least I thought that. I thought that they'd gathered to, obviously to worship God, but also to pay homage to my family. I thought it was a pretty great life. And as I got a little older, I started uh, going down to Mexico in the summers with my grandparents, uh, who were missionaries. And uh, when I wasn't with them in the children's home, I'd often travel with them as they went around the states to churches that supported them and uh, talked about what was going on. And once again, I sort of got the opportunity to bask in the glow of someone else's ministerial glory. So I I remember uh, going all over the central United States as a child uh, and having people say, oh, you're Ted and Wanda Murray's grandson. I've known them for 25 years. Fine people, fine people. So early on in life, I, I, I thought that the only paths really that made any sense for me was either minister or missionary. Because to my young mind, those were the two most glamorous professions available. And having done at least one of them for most of my life now, I'm, I, I can assure you that, that they're not nearly as gl- glamorous as I thought at the time. But I can attest to the fact that trying to do good for other people, trying to learn to tell the truth, trying to figure out the best way to serve God day in and day out, That's a vocation worthy of giving your life to. But as a kid, I I, I didn't know any of that stuff. I I still thought my dad and my grandparents were were stars. And in fact, I remember uh, praying as an eight uh, or nine-year-old 
God, if, if you want me to be a missionary or, or if you want me to be a, a minister, um, you know, let me trip over a bush. That would be a sign. And then, then sort of I'd kind of casually walk by a bush and act like I didn't see it. And I'd trip. For years, I, I, I kind of thought that's how it worked. God had to put a kind of a big sign in your path. You know, you couldn't miss it, right? Something big, something shiny, unmistakable. Put there for you. Well, it turns out God's call to follow Jesus is rarely experienced as a big flashing neon sign planted in the middle of the roadway of life. It's, it's almost always something more pedestrian, more dim and whispery, something that you might miss while you're looking for God to drop some outrageous portents from the heavens someplace else. Now, this passage from Mark, it may sound vaguely familiar. Last Sunday's reading from the Gospel of John dealt with the calling of Philip and Nathaniel and how they dropped everything to to take up with Jesus and his roving band of, uh, of followers, based apparently on nothing more substantial than Jesus' rather thin pitch, which was, follow me. Remember that? What, what do we have going on here today? Well, in Mark's gospel, Jesus is wandering down by the seaside when he comes upon Peter and Andrew we're fishermen. And like last week, Jesus doesn't do any fancy sort of hocus-pocus, no slick recruiting spiel. He sees them, and he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. It's, it's simple, right? It's really straightforward. There's no huge Damascus Road experience. But how do they respond? I find this odd. They, 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 they just look at each other. They sort of shrug their shoulders, I guess, and they drop their nets and they follow. So Jesus and his new crew sort of amble down the beach a ways until they happen upon a couple of other brothers who are also fishermen. And once again, Jesus says to them, hey, you guys, leave the old man and come with me. What do they do? They leave their old man in the rearview mirror and they take off after Jesus. But see, here's the best part, the part that we might miss if we aren't paying attention. What is the qualifier that Mark uses to explain the exits that these four newly minted disciples uh, have for their exits. I mean, what, 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 what is the word that Mark uses to describe how they respond? It's important. See, this qualifier recounts for us how they all put down their nets, they said their goodbyes, and then they took off. It's, it's arguably the most important word in our text this morning. You know what it is? Immediately. Immediately? 
immediately. <laughs> That's right. When, when Jesus calls, both sets of brothers drop what they're doing, and they fire up the mini, minivan immediately. Well, they don't focus group it. They don't consult their Google calendars, their financial planners, or their bosses, their horoscopes. They just get up, and they go. And, and, and it's not because Jesus has given them any great reason to follow, is it? Just, he says, go, and they go. There's no big flashing signs, no voices, no emotional hammerlock that warns of your coming destructions at the hands of an angry God. Nothing. I mean, uh, anything that happens doesn't sound like anything I ever thought being sought after by God looked like. It's just, hey, y'all, you got to come see this. You got to be a part of it. I mean, that really does raise some questions for us, doesn't it? I mean, how do they know that they're supposed to go? I mean, it doesn't seem like much of a, an invitation, does it? it? It doesn't seem like they're given enough evidence to bet their lives on. But Jesus is sneaky that way. There's truth to proclaim. There are things to do. According to Jesus, the reign of God has come near. Not the reign of God is up there somewhere. Not the reign of God is going to happen one of these days after the apocalypse. Not the reign of God lies just on the other side of the grave. No, the kingdom of God has come near now, immediately. Apparently, there are people who've gotten too used to bringing up the rear, folks who need some extra help being ushered up to the front of the line. And guess what? Guess who gets to do that? Us. That's us. We're needed. The world can't afford for us to wait for a lightning strike before we finally hear God and what God is whispering in our ears. There are folks who've lived too long with the belief that they don't amount to anything because of what color they are or where they were born or whom they love or what kind of shape their bodies or brains are in or because their bank account doesn't support a robust, a robust enough balance. I mean, there are a lot of People out there who need to know the love of God, a love that tells them they were made for more than defeat and despair, that their suffering and oppression is a failure of the system and not their destiny. But they need to know the love of God as it is embodied in God's vision for a new world that puts human beings at the center, dismissing all sources of their current misery. And whether it conforms to the idea of what being invited to follow Jesus looks like or not, you, we might just be God's idea of what it takes to reach these people, to love them, to heal them. Us. One of my all-time favorite books, uh, it's, 
called Saint uh, Maybe. It's by Ann Tyler. And I, and I, I don't want to give you the whole backstory, but the main character's name is Ian Bedlow. And um, early in his life, he commits what he thinks is a terrible sin. Um, but by this time in the novel, he's spent most of his life trying to atone for that sad deed. As part of his atonement, Ian has dropped out of college and raised his dead brother's three children. Now, the most important aspect of Ian's attempt to come to terms with a life that feels to him as though it's gone off the rails is this place he's found. It's called the Church of the Second Chance. It's a small sort of storefront church, and it has provided him with the support and the community that he needs. And one day, the pastor, uh, whose name is Reverend Emmett, he, he calls Ian Bedlow into his office, and he says, Brother Ian, he says, while I was in the hospital, I did some serious thinking. I've been thinking that I should face the fact that I'm not going to live forever. Ian opened his mouth to protest, but Reverend Emmett raised his hand. No, he said, I, I, I'm not planning on dying tomorrow or anything like that. Still, this kind of thing makes you realize it's, it's time we discuss my replacement. And Ian said, replacement? He said, someone who will, who will take over the church when I'm gone. I, I think you ought to start training for ministry. And Ian stops. He didn't know if, he, if he's heard right. He says, as Reverend Emmett continues, the, the good thing about a heart attack is it, it gives you kind of advance notice. It gives us a chance to get you trained down at Lawrence Bible School down in Richmond. And Ian says, Richmond? I, I can't go to Richmond. But why not? i got responsibilities here. But Surely those are just about finished now, aren't they? Reverend Emmett says, the kid's growing up. Ian sat, uh, sat forward, clamping his knees. But Reverend Emmett, he said, Daphne's at 16. She's, she's, she's more trouble than all the rest of them at, at any age. Do you, you know her principal is, has me picking her up at school every day? Okay. So two more years, Reverend Emmett said. Maybe, maybe less if she straightens out before she graduates. And I'm certain that she's going to straighten out. Meanwhile, you can start with a few courses here in Baltimore, maybe night school, Towson State, or maybe community college. And Ian said, but, 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 but also, yes. I mean, shouldn't I, shouldn't I hear this call? I mean, shouldn't I hear a call? <laughs> and Reverend Emmett said, well, maybe I'm the call. And Ian blinked. And maybe not, of course, Reverend Emmett told him. But it's always a possibility. Maybe I'm the call. And maybe not, of course. Or, or maybe it's that persistent pulling that you feel, the one that won't let go of you. Or, or maybe it's your Uncle Ed who's, who's always talking about those Commercials on late night TV that haunt you with pictures of starving children. Or, or, or maybe one of the 
grandmotherly types that greets you at the back of the church every Sunday and reminds you how your presence brings joy to folks everybody else just seems to walk past without noticing. Or, or maybe it's that woman who sits at the same place in the street corner every day with the same cup held out in her hand, a sign that asks for money for food. And you can see the faded pink Dora the Explorer backpack that holds everything she owns. And it's too cold. Or, or maybe it's that teenage kid who's confused about who she is and always seems to be in trouble because she can't quite figure it out. And she keeps getting bullied at school every day just for being different. And she looks at you like maybe you're the only hope she's got left in the world. Or maybe it's a Hispanic woman with broken English who serves you coffee every day, leaning out the drive through window, McDonald's, Starbucks, and who goes home after work to spend another sleepless night worrying about whether her husband will be deported, leaving her to raise three babies on her own. And you can just see the worry lines etched in her forehead as she hands you your change. Or maybe it's that young couple in a new city who don't have any friends and wouldn't even know where to begin to look for them. They're lonely, they're scared, but they don't know how to say it. And they don't really have anyone to say it to anyway. Or maybe it's me right now. Maybe I'm the call to drop what you're currently doing and do what you're pretty sure God's been telling you to do for a long time now. Maybe God's trying to tell you something at this very moment. Maybe there's not some big flashing sign, not some incentivized benefits package, no assurance that everything's going to turn out right and you'll become famous, have wonderful, well-adjusted kids, and your breath will smell uh, wonderful. Maybe it's just a tug, a gnawing at the edge of your mind that you can't quite shake, saying, follow me. Drop what you're doing and follow. Immediately. I'm sorry, when? Immediately. Or maybe not of course, but it's always a possibility. The only way we'll find out is, I guess, we drop our nets and walk with Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.